Our good Father, we ask that you would use your word to show us uh, your son and to reassure us of your grace and good favor towards us. So when, when both of my boys were younger, there were these times where they would do something that was against what we asked them to do, and we would address it with them, and then their response to us would be this simple uh, childlike question of, do you still love me? Uh, for us as parents, hearing that question, it has a very simple answer. Whatever just happened did not rattle us, did not shake us. Our love and our commitment to these two little people was uh, is just as secure now as it was 15 minutes ago before they did whatever they did. But for our kids, that question revealed something that was going on in their heart in a much deeper way. There, something had happened that had unsettled them. Something had happened so that their confidence in our love for them, their confidence and ability to rest in, in our care for them or our commitment to them was in some ways rattled and their footing in the world in this relationship felt much less secure because of what had happened. And, and the result in their hearts is this strange mixture of fear, of doubt, and of insecurity. And in those moments, our job as a parent is to come alongside them and restabilize them. To speak to them in such a way that reassures them of who we really are for them and who they are to us. And when we reassure them, what we're actually trying to do is overrule their own interpretation that's happening inside of them to say, this is actually what's true. This is actually what's real. This is actually who I am for you and who you are to me. And I want you as my boys to move out of this place of insecurity and instability and fear and uncertainty into a place of joy, into a place of rest, living confidently out of my secure love for you as a father. Uh, that is the work of reassurance. And what we find in this life of faith that we are in is that something very similar happens to us. We often find ourselves, for different reasons, shaken internally so that we ask the same question to God, do you still love me? This is the question. This is the problem that John is addressing to this group of people in these words before us. It's the, it is the problem of losing our confidence in who God is for us. Now remember, John is not writing to the world at large. John is writing to a group of Christians in the early church. Remember, he is sharing personal experiences of what he has seen and heard from Jesus himself in the close relationship that he had with them. And he's writing to this group of believers who identify with Jesus, who are following him with their lives. And there is a danger 
for this group of Christians and a danger for us as well here and now of our hearts beginning to take a turn so that they turn against us. Our own hearts begin to turn against us. And what happens as a result is we begin to believe that God himself has done a similar move. That God himself has turned against us. And God and John is writing to these group of believers to stabilize them, to reassure them, to remind them of who God is for them, no matter what their hearts might say. And the hope for movement is this movement away from fear and doubt and insecurity to a, a place of rest and a place of confidence and a place of joy that lives out of secure who God is for them, for us. As much as we would like to believe that the life of a Christian is one of just constant rest and constant security, where we always just believe easily that God is for us, what we read in the scriptures is very different. We, we read over and over again that our hearts are tricky. And that they often turn against us. And we often doubt who God really is for us. And we ourselves need reassurance all along the way. And, and in these words before us, we're given reassurance in, in three different ways that are all related. And it's helpful to think about these, thing, these, uh, these sources of reassurance as different streams of grace, that different rivers that are meant to flow into our lives as believers constantly giving reassurance leading to places of secure living and joy and freedom and the three that we're going to look at this morning are these we are given a better verdict we're given a better savior and we're given a better help better verdict better savior better help uh, first a better verdict to, to get a, a better picture of what's happening here, it's helpful to think about a courtroom and the role of a prosecutor. So a prosecutor is brought on not to defend, but to establish charges against someone else. The prosecutor is using all sorts of evidence to try to persuade a jury of this person's guilt. Prosecutor is not defending. Prosecutor is accusing hoping to lead to a guilty verdict. When John talks in verses 20 and 21 about the danger of our hearts condemning us, what he is saying is that sometimes our own hearts take the role of prosecutor in our lives. Our hearts take this role of the one who is condemning, bringing accusations, leveling charges against us. Shaking this confidence that we have. And, and when our hearts turn against us as prosecutor, something significant happens in our relationship with God. And I'll say sometimes our hearts turn against us by saying crazy things about us that simply aren't true. And part of growing in faith means learning to dismiss those accusations as simply just not true. As we also know, there's sometimes where, a lot of times, where our hearts bring up charges against ourselves that we know are all too true. Ways in which we haven't measured up, ways in which we haven't loved, we haven't.
how to serve. Um, we often know our own weaknesses, deficiencies, failures more than anybody else. And our hearts are often quick to bring those to memory. And when that happens, when our hearts turn against us, what that does is it destabilizes our relationship with God, our confidence before him. Listen to the logic of verse 21. John says, beloved. He's always referring to beloved children. He's always just reminding them that he really cares about them. If our heart does not condemn us, then we have confidence before God. If you reverse that logic, here's what you hear. If our heart does condemn us, then we have no confidence before God. In other words, as our hearts condemn us, we begin to lose this confidence in who God is. And if you are living under uh, a verdict from your heart or from God that is one of divine disapproval and frustration and judgment, then the fruit, I promise you, is not going to be joy. The fruit is not going to be peace. The fruit is not going to be a responsive love to God. It's going to be more fear, guilt, shame. When our hearts turn against us, it does not produce closeness. It doesn't produce confidence. It cripples our relationship with God. And this result is an unsettled, doubting heart that's asking that same question. Do you, do you really love me? Do you still love me? So the question is, how do we find our way out of this trap? How does, how does John help us with this? How does God help us? What we need is a verdict. Uh, we need a better verdict than the one our hearts are giving us and the one that we think God is giving us. A verdict that's better, that's more favorable than our own. It's helpful here to think about how our court systems work. There's a reason why there's been so much uh, intense dialogue or debate over Supreme Court justices and who gets to be nominated to that role in our country. And it's because that is the highest court in the land. So whatever might be decided at the level of a state court, whatever might be decided on the level of a federal court, the Supreme Court can trump all of those. The Supreme Court can make rulings that overrule, that can give verdicts that are more powerful and more authoritative than all of those lower-level courts. It is the definitive ruling. When we think about what's happening here in this better verdict, John is telling us that, that God's voice and his verdict is like that Supreme Court. So whatever uh, the court of our own heart says against us, whatever the court of public opinion says against us, there is a greater court. Verse 20, whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. He knows everything. In other words, he, he knows everything about us. The good, the bad, the ugly, and the really ugly. He knows all that. And then John says he is greater than our hearts hearts. If his ruling in our favor, he's saying, I am not against you, but I am for you. You are not 
guilty, you are forgiven. You are not orphans, you are beloved sons and daughters. You're not condemned, but you're justified and accounted as righteous in my sight. This is a ruling from the highest court in the land. There's no appeals to this. There's no higher court that you can appeal to. This is the definitive verdict that John is trying to remind them of and remind us that we might, as one translation says, set our hearts at ease before God. That is one of the gifts of reassurance that we are given. That is a better verdict. Better verdict whenever our hearts might throw out to us. Which brings up the big question, how can God come to these incredibly good verdicts about us when he knows who we really are? And that brings us to the second source of our assurance, and that's a better Savior. Our very small group this past semester has been studying Paul's letter to the Galatians and, and the main message of that Paul is trying to kind of hammer into uh, this early church that's struggling is that they cannot save themselves. He's trying to express in all sorts of different ways. This is what grace is. God is the one who saves. No matter what you do, you cannot secure a right relationship with God on your own. Your standing with God cannot be grounded on your own obedience, your own record of your performance, your ability to do God said, what God says. It, it will not work. That can't be the foundation. But here in verses 22 to 23, uh, our confidence, according to John, is tied into what he calls keeping his commandments. In other words, if you want to have confidence before God, then do what he says which seems strange or even unhelpful when that's part of the problem. So what's what's happening here? Is if our struggle to do what God says is getting us into all this trouble, then why tie our confidence into it? But pay close attention to what he says, especially the first part of verse 23. This is his commandment that we believe in the name of of his son, Jesus Christ. So halftime at a, a football game is a big opportunity for coaches to do what they call halftime adjustments. So as I'm watching the UGA game, and I, I do confess, I turn it off when it's 7-10 and we're losing. Um, I'm thinking there needs to be a lot of halftime adjustments if this is going to turn out differently. What happens at halftime is the coaches come in and they make changes. They say, okay, this is what's not going well. Uh, you need to do this different. You need to do this better. And if you do, then there's a chance that we will come out on top in this game. And all the, all the changes and all the adjustments that they, they put forward has to do with them, this team, doing something better and different than what they were doing before. When John sees this community of faith struggling, he he wants to help them make adjustments to how they are living. But what you don't hear is you need to do more for God. What you hear, what we hear, is you need to trust in what God has done for you. It's this upside-down way of thinking, but it's foundational to the Christian life. 
Well, God says to us, this is what's most important. It's not what we do. It is what has been done for us. And we are to rely on it. We are to trust in it. We are to rest in it. That's where he, he draws us back to putting our eyes on Jesus more focused, more clearly. In other words, Jesus has a role in this corporate as well. Go back to verse chapter 2, and John says that Jesus is our advocate for us. So while our hearts may be serving as this prosecuting attorney, John says that Jesus is on the other side advocating, defending, fighting, healing. And it's the Father himself who sent it. He points to what he has done for us. My dear children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation our sins. When our hearts begin to condemn us, we have to look once again to Jesus and who he is and what he has done for us. Back in the 1800s, there was a Scottish pastor named Robert Murray McShane. And that name may not be familiar to any of you, but uh, uh, he, he wrote some different letters and in one of them, he talked about how our hearts, kind of like what we're talking about today, how quick our hearts can trick us. And he wrote this. And as I read this, I want you to notice this, this is not um, uh, religious, uh, ivory tower, cold, theological pastor speak. Here's what he says. And think about this in the context of just reassurance. He says, learn much of the Lord Jesus. For every one look you take at yourself, take ten looks at Christ. He is altogether lovely, such infinite majesty, and yet such meekness and grace, and all for sinners, even to the chief. Live much in the smiles of God. Bask in his beams, feel his all-seeing eye settled on you in love and rest in his almighty arms. Let your soul be filled with a heart-ravaging sense of the sweetness and excellency of Christ and all that is in him. Let the Holy Spirit fill every chamber of your heart so that there will be no room for foolishness, the world, Satan. love that. Here's this object of such beauty, of such power, of such grace, that for every glance we take at our own hearts, and all that we are not, we are to take ten and more looks at Jesus and all that he is. That's reassurance. So often we, begin, we become people who gaze in the mirror too much, and, and God is pulling our hearts to look at something much better to keep his eyes on him. And if we get this, if we get what Robert Murray McShane just talked about, then the fruit of our lives will be one of love. 
This is his commandments, the full part, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. One of the ways we can tell that we really get this and that we can have confidence is that we extend this love to others. When our hearts condemn us, we're giving a better verdict. We're given a better Savior. And this leads us to our final source, this final river of reassurance that is, we're given a better helper. So the other day, I was putting in a new mailbox uh, out by our driveway, and I wanted to make it sturdy. And so, uh, dig a hole, uh, put the post in the hole, uh, pour dry concrete around the post, and then add water. And after I add water, it's still shaky. You could still move the post around, but my hope is that over time, and which is what happened. It is going to secure and cement itself in place so that it cannot be shaken. It cannot, it cannot move around. It cannot fall over. When we think about the role of the Holy Spirit, there's many different roles that it has in our lives. But one of the roles it has is to serve like that cement, to, to cement us securely in a relationship with God and to hold us firm, to bind us securely to Jesus and to the Father. Verse 24, By this we know that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. So if you go back to the, the Gospel lesson that Sarah read just a few moments ago, you're brought back into this, this last meal with the disciples that we've heard a lot about in our study of 1 John because John draws on that night so much in his writings it made such a deep impression on his soul that, that it's woven into his writings and his life and jesus telling his disciples that he's going to be leaving them and as they begin to be unsettled he he assures them that it's actually a good thing and that he is going to send them a helper he says i will ask the father and he will send you another helper. I'm not leaving you alone. He will be with you forever, the spirit of truth. He will be in you and dwell with you. I will not leave you as orphans. Here's one way the spirit helps us. He says, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Part of the role of the Holy Spirit as helper is to bring to remembrance what Jesus has said and what Jesus has done to reassure us again and again. In the 1600s, there was this, a brilliant mathematician and also part theologian, Blaise Pascal, um, and his most famous work is Pense. It's a gathering of his, his thoughts that people still read today. After he passed away, one of his close friends was going through his possessions and found his kind of favorite coat uh, that he had worn for years and years and years. And as he was kind of feeling through it, he felt something right here. Um, and it was a little hidden pocket, and it was sewn up. And inside of it, there was a, a piece of paper that he drew out. Uh, handwritten on here, there are pictures of crosses, 
And what it was was this this note that nobody else knew about that Pascal had written after a very powerful experience with God early on in his life. And he he wrote down some of what that was like and some of what he felt. And here's just some of it. The year of grace, 1654. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, certainty, joy, peace. Righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. Joy, 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 tears of joy. This is eternal life that they know you, the one true God and the one that you sent, Jesus Christ. Let me never be separated from him. He is only kept securely by ways taught in the gospel. Renunciation total and sweet. May I not forget your words. Amen. When his friend found that note in the pocket, it was clear that this pocket hidden had been opened up and re-sewn again and again and again. Pattern of life whereby Pascal went back Again and again to this letter to bring it out to remind him of God's favor, of certainty, of joy, to find reassurance. And as I think about that story, it it helps one of his other more famous quotes make a lot more sense. Where he said, in difficult times, carry something beautiful. No one else knew what he was talking about when he wrote that, but he knew very much that difficult times carry something beautiful in your heart. Think about the role of the Holy Spirit. It's not a, a letter. It's not words on a piece of paper written in our coat pocket, but it is God himself living inside of us, reminding us of who we are to God, of what God has done for us the love that would send his own son to bear our curse, to take away our guilt, our shame, through such desperate and terrible means as a cross. This is what produces joy, security. The Holy Spirit in our hearts, through his word, pointing us back to this reality, reassuring us again. We have a better verdict because we have a better Savior and we have a better help that reminds us of that, helps us to live in that, and helps us to encourage one another in those realities. May this better helper turn our hearts into this better verdict again and again through the better Savior. God, we thank you for the gift of your spirit. We ask that this week he would bring to remembrance things you've said, things you have done, that when our hearts begin to condemn us, that you would point us to a better verdict that comes through Jesus, your son, that says wonderful things about us, not because of what we have done, but because of what you have done, and help us to trust and to believe in the name of Jesus Christ, your son, freely given. This makes sense to us. 
Move our hearts. Remind us. Reassure us. In your name we pray.